If you are uh, near a Bible or can get one, uh, open to 1 John. We are continuing our series in, in 1 John. This morning we're going to be looking at um, chapter 3. That's where we are this morning, chapter 3, verse 19. So head to 1 John chapter 3, um, verse 19. Let me pray before uh, we dive into this. Yeah, I know I just prayed, but it's good for us to pray every time we come to God's word. Father, you, you have spoken. You continue to speak. We love that about you, that this, this book that you've given us is not just, it's not just a dead, dry book, but it's the, it's the words of the living God. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, you come and you bring these words to life in our hearing week by week as we come and submit our hearts and our lives to it and seek to learn and to have our lives changed and shaped by it as you teach us. And so we pray again this morning that you would do that and you would come and focus our minds and our hearts now as we long to hear from you, that you would instruct us in your ways, that you would speak words to us that would strengthen our faith Show us you, show us ourselves, and move us forward in our love for you. Please help us now as we look at your word together in Jesus' name. Amen. I think um, if, you've been, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, and it doesn't even have to be super long, uh, you'll probably know, uh, and maybe you're right there at the moment, that, that doubts can creep in. Um, and they vary on a spectrum from wondering if you're a Christian. Uh, I, as a pastor, have sat with countless people over the years who've, you know, wanted to grab a coffee or come to me after a service. You know, you've preached something, and maybe, maybe the preaching was a bit average or something, or maybe it wasn't clear enough, and a person comes to you often and says, like, I heard what you said, and I don't actually know if I'm a Christian after what you've said, and yeah, you realize that maybe you came a bit strong on some aspects and not clear enough on the, on, on the others. Uh, I need to clarify for them. Okay, no, like you are a Christian. Let's go through this again kind of thing. But so easily uh, our hearts can just start to doubt and wonder uh, and, and wobble a little bit. Uh, you just walk with the Lord and you think, I'm just, I'm just not getting this right, as it were. I keep falling on my face in the same areas. I'm battling, I'm battling now with the things that I've been battling with for the last you know, five years or, or 50 years, depending on your age. And um, a lack of assurance can creep in. We can start to wonder, is this even true? Uh, is there a God? All these promises of help. Uh, am I a Christian? Um, and our hearts can condemn us. That's the passage we're going to look at now. Our hearts can condemn us. You get this internal kind of speak. That you, and and this, this passage, particularly this morning, is around it's spoken to Christians, but it's about a condemning heart. We look at that now, like, we just feel weighed down and condemned. That's the word that John is using here. And uh, as I was talking this through a bit with Claire, um, she made a great observation that I think this year has been like unlike any other that most of us have lived through. And many of us have had probably more time on your own or separated from people that you may usually have been around. You haven't been at church at all or much. Uh, and lots of time with your own thoughts and stuff, and that can not necessarily be a good thing. Uh, I think self-reflection is an, is an excellent thing. It's a really good um, rhythm for us to be in, but too much time on your own 
Maybe, you know, maybe you're single, you don't have a family or whatever else. There's just lots of time on your own. There's lots of time in your own head, lots of time in your own thoughts and lots of space for doubt and a lack of assurance to creep in. And this is the word that John has for us this morning. It's a very strong and encouraging uh, word for us this morning out of 1 John chapter 3. So let's read from verse 19. <clears throat> this is how we will know that we belong to the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him and he in him. The way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. That's as far as we're going to go this morning. So John is, John is contrasting this morning two, I'm going to call them heart conditions, two, two heart conditions. One is a condemned heart, uh, that's the word he's using, and one is a confident heart. I'm just using the words that are already in this passage. There's maybe better descriptions, and maybe you're thinking, I don't have either a condemned or confident heart, but we're going with those descriptions because those are words that are already in here. Um, and so let's have a, first have a look at this, at this condemned heart that he's particularly addressing and wanting to speak a word of comfort and hope and help to. There it is in verse 19 to 21. This is how we will know that we belong to the truth. This is really important. Like, do you not want to know that you belong to the truth? Like, I think every Christian should say a loud amen. I know you're not really supposed to interrupt me, uh, but you can say that. I may not hear you muffling under your masks and stuff, but you can say a loud amen. It's like, yeah, I really want to know that I belong to the truth. I want to know that I belong to the truth and have my heart, what's it? They're reassured. I want to be able to reassure my heart that I belong to the truth, that I'm, this is not a game, that I'm actually part of the team, I'm one of God's children, you know, I'm not deluding myself, I haven't just drunk the Kool-Aid and, you know, I've made this all up. Um, reassure our hearts before him, whenever our hearts condemn us, for God is greater than our hearts, and goes in verse 21, dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us. So twice he's using that word condemn. And that's what I was, I was saying earlier, like it, you may not be feeling it now, but just keep walking with the Lord. You may not be feeling it now, but it's going to happen at some point. Something's going to happen in your walk with the Lord where these doubts are going to rise up in your heart, and your heart's going to feel some level of condemnation. Let's have a look at why our hearts would condemn us. Where does this come from? How do you end up in this like condemned heart condition? Well, there's a, there's a few things. Some of it is just the stuff that you've done. Some of it is just the stuff that you've done. And it can be stuff that you've done uh, three years ago, I mean, three days ago, or 30 years ago, you know? I, I, I've sat with lots of people who've done stuff like decades before, and they have repented of it. They know God has forgiven them, but they just, they just can't shake it. They just wonder, every now and then the devil will use it, or they'll get in their own head and wonder, did God actually forgive me? Or especially if it's a repetitive sin. It's the same thing, you keep slipping up in the same area again and again and again. Every time you go back to God, say, hey, you repent, you and confess it, ask for God's forgiveness, and you find yourself back in that rhythm again and again and again, and you wonder, like, 
surely God's patience is going to run out with me. Um, he's just going to be like, okay, you know, like, I forgive you 70 times 7, you know, and like that's 490, and you've probably, you're in the 500s now. That's done. The grace is emptied out. You've exhausted all of it. Like sometimes it's just the stuff that we've actually done. That's, it's legit things, things you've actually done. Sins we have committed that, that linger in our hearts and our minds and our memories that condemn us, that come crashing down um, on our hearts. Uh, and I'm reminded of that Psalm 51 where, where David's um, sinned with Bathsheba and he writes Psalm 51 and he says, my sin is always before me. And I think some, some believers feel like that. My sin is always before me. I mean, every time you come to God, it's just like my sin is always, that's all you can see. You look at God through the lens of your sin. Uh, as you come to prayer, you know, the first thing on your mind is not the goodness of God. It's the, it's the sin that separates you from him, the stuff that you've done. Legit things, not made up things, not false accusations from, from Satan. Legit things that you, have act, you and I have actually done can really weigh down our own hearts. Some of us just have a, a weak conscience. It's just like your, your conscience is just overwhelmed. Um, you don't feel the freedom to do different things, and you just feel wrapped up in your heart and very easily condemn you. There's freedom in Christ to do certain things, but you just have a, a weaker conscience in those things. And uh, The scriptures speak about that. Sometimes it's just spiritual forgetfulness. Spiritual forgetfulness. Christians are notorious for spiritual amnesia. Uh, you just open your Bible anywhere and just read for a while, and it's not going to take you long before you find the words remember. Remember, God is all the way through Scripture, wired in for His people to remember. Look back, look back. There's you know, piles of rocks all over uh, the Middle East there uh, to remind God's people as they walked around, oh, what's this pile of rocks for? Oh, this pile of rocks is for the time when God did this and this. Because people forget, and you forget what God, and I forget what God has done in my life. And when you forget what God has done, when you have spiritual amnesia, your heart can easily, very quickly get condemned. Listen to what Peter says when he's writing in his letter in 2 Peter chapter 1 from verse 5 to 9. It says this, I'm just going to dive into his thought chases. For this reason, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. Some of you just hear that list and you think that's quite a big list of things to do. I'm not very good at many of those things. Oh dear, you know, like ooh. God condemning thing already creeping up on you. From verse 8, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is, here it is, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. They're nearsighted and blind, they're forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. Sometimes the thing that makes you unproductive and ineffective as a believer is that you just simply forget that you've been cleansed from your past sins. You have spiritual amnesia. You forget the gospel. Forget what God has done. Sometimes the sources of condemnation are just, like I said, you don't feel like you're measuring up. You just don't feel like you should be on the team. Um, some, some believers read, open up the Bible, and as they read it, all they, all they hear and all they see is stuff they should do. It's like lists of do. Do this, do this, do this, do this. Live like this, live like this. And what you hear out of the scriptures is things that you must do. You don't read with eyes and say, this is what God has done. So all the, they call them uh, imperatives and indicatives. Those are the fancy words for it. But like the things that God has done 
and the things that you should do. And some people lean in different directions. Some people read the scriptures and they think, this is amazing, this just comforts my heart. Look at what God has done. Other people come to the scriptures and they just see long lists of stuff that they should do or shouldn't do. And then you look at your own life and you just think, crumbs, I'm, I'm either not doing what, you know, what's it? doing what I shouldn't do or not doing what I should do. And it's just like, oh, you just feel condemned and convicted every time you open up a Bible. It's just like, oh gosh, I'm not measuring up. Just feel guilt-ridden. And I just want to mention here that what I'm talking about this morning in this condemning thing is not the same as conviction. Uh, there is a wonderful and glorious work of the Holy Spirit, which is conviction. That's what Jesus says. He's going to send the Holy Spirit in the world to convict. Conviction, conviction is a work of the Spirit that leads you to God. Okay? Conviction that meant to lead you to God. Condemnation is a work of our own fallen nature and an attack from, this, from the enemy that leads you away from God. It has the exact opposite effect. Conviction will lead you to God. Condemnation will just make you want to run. You'll just feel crushed and paralyzed and not want to go anywhere near God. And the, the effects of living with a condemned heart are this, that you, that you run from God. You, you don't come to God. And some, some of you, your, your, your lack of prayer, uh, your prayerlessness is, is, is rooted in this, that you feel like your heart condemns you. And you're not going to pray. Let me just say this. You're not going to pray. You're not rushing into the presence of God if you feel like your heart is just condemning you. And it's like, we're going to respond in different ways. Either we're going to feel hopeless and just, you know, either slide further into sin. It's like, well, I'm not getting it right. I may as well just do it properly. You know, it's just like, you know, <laughs> if I'm going to sin, I'm going to go flat out and do this properly. Uh, and that's not, that's not uh, the right response kind of thing, just in case you want to. Other times we just hide and pretend, and we, as Christians, we're experts at this. Uh, I think every Christian sort of has like a master's degree in hiding and pretending. Uh, we just like pretend with God. We pretend with other Christians. We fake it until we make it, but we don't quite make it. We just put on a mask. Ah, you see what I did there? We put on a mask. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I might have self love. So we put on a mask and we, we put out this vibe to everybody else as if like, no, we're okay. But we're not honest enough about what's actually going on, the condition of our heart to say we don't actually feel like we are living this life of joy that God has promised and invited us into. You just feel like you're not making the grade. Your heart's condemning you. As much as you may pretend to everybody else that it's okay, it's not. Other times, some of us will just work extra hard. Your heart condemns you, you read, I'm not measuring up, knuckle down, do more. Try, be a better Christian, come to all the services, give um, fast, do the stuff. And then you just find yourself on a religious treadmill trying to work your way back into the good books because you've blown it. And so maybe if I pray more and if I read the Bible more and if I'm more generous or whatever else, or if I serve more, then, 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 then God will accept me. And this condemned heart condition will lift, but that's not going to work. Instead, we need the gospel. We need the gospel. And listen to this wonderful quote. I have mentioned it before, but it's worth writing it down, you know, tattooing on your arm, put it somewhere around your house. This is Martin Luther, the German theologian at his best. This is his, uh, what he writes in his commentary on uh, Galatians 2. He says this, this truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it that we know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. Yeah. 
lekker, hè? I love that image. I mean, you need to beat the gospel. This is an instruction to any of us who preach, to beat the gospel into your head. I mean, that's basically what we're doing this morning. And what we want to do every week is beat the gospel into your head. My question to you is this this morning, what's your plan to beat the gospel into your own head? Because if you don't have an action plan to beat the gospel into your head and your heart, you're gonna, when your heart condemns you, you're going to try everything else. And it's not going to work. It's going to rob you of all your joy and all your life. You need to have an action plan for beating the gospel, Allah Martin Luther, into your head and into your heart. Let's move and have a look at what these confident hearts that John is longing for. We don't want to just spend all the morning talking about this condemned heart. He talks about confident heart. What I mean by this, in verse 21, there it is. He says, um, dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God. We have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. I want to, I want to deal with the rest of this passage in a slightly different way. We're going to go to the end and then work our way backwards uh, in it. It just makes the most, most sense for me to explain this to you. Uh, we don't want to live with condemned hearts. We want to live with confident hearts before God. How do we do that? How do we get to become people who live confidently before our God? Uh, here it is. At the end of this passage, he talks about the presence of the Holy Spirit. And here is, for me, the silver bullet in the assurance of salvation is the indwelling person of the Holy Spirit. This is what, this is what God has said. Like, I will give you my Holy Spirit. He will be in you. And the Holy Spirit's presence in you will assure you that you belong to God. Not just like whispering like things in your ear, you know, kind of thing like a, a real indwelling of God in you. And I know some people think like, no, Doug, you're going all crazy and Pentecostal on me. Like this is the thing. This is the real deal. This is almost like life and death issues. Like if you don't understand and appreciate the fact that if you're a believer in Jesus, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're never going to make much progress. And I want, to, I want us to start there and then work our way backwards into this passage here. The work of the Holy Spirit it says there, verse 24, and the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he's given us. The way we know that he remains in us, that we remain in him, is from the spirit that he's given us. That's how you know that you're a Christian is because the Holy Spirit's in you. And this is what happens when the Holy Spirit gets given to you. There's a million, not a million things, but there's lots of other things. For the purposes of this and this passage, I want to look at two things, identity and ability. Identity and ability. This is what happens when God indwells you with himself through the Holy Spirit. He changes our identity. And we looked at this a few weeks ago. Um, I don't even remember which, how many weeks it was on a uh, sermon on us being the children of God. But in Romans 8, listen to it again because it's worth beating this into our heads. Uh, so let's beat again from Romans 8, chapter 14. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 and 16. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. That is the world of condemnation, falling back into a fear that you don't belong to God, that you're not sure of your present or of your future or of your standing with God. Fall back into fear. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. 
God's spirit gets into you and testifies together with your spirit that you belong to God. It's the most wonderful thing that God can do. And for some of you this morning, that may be the only place that you need. just need a camp. Say, so God, would you again, would you again pour out the Holy Spirit on me? Let, let me, give me ears, give me grace to hear you speaking identity to me, that I am a son, I'm a daughter, I'm a child of yours this morning again. You, if you don't start there, everything else doesn't make any sense. God has changed our identity, but he has changed our ability as well. He's given us a new uh, identity as the sons of God, but he's changed our ability. He's empowered us by the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus. When you read all the way through Luke's gospel, it mentions that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, led out to do his ministry. Jesus, in his earthly life, is empowered by the Spirit. Jesus did what he did on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's, and that same thing happens to us. That's why Jesus says, you're going to do greater things than I, I did while I was here. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit, the presence. In Romans 8, that wonderful um, chapter, Paul is speaking and he, and, he, and he speaks about how, in verse 13, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, how are you going to make progress as a Christian? It's through the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. Not by an action plan, not by reading a cool book, not by an accountability group, not by anything, by the power of the Spirit, you put to death the things that don't look anything like Jesus in your life. You want to make progress as a Christian, it's a Spirit-empowered endeavor. Holy Spirit's helping us to do that. And this is, a, this is not our default. So before we become indwelt by the Spirit, this is not available. That's why if you're not a Christian, you're powerless against sin. Maybe you're watching this, maybe you're here, and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian yet. And I want to let you know, you have no power over sin. You have no ability to defeat it. Maybe you'll find a little victory here and there, but you have no ability to put sin to death because the Holy Spirit does that. And it's a privilege of the children of God is the ability, this new ability to put sin to death in us. What else does the Holy Spirit do? So first changes our, our identity and our ability. And then he enables us to keep God's commands. He enables us to keep God's commands. Have a look in verse 23 there. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. might be wondering, what commands does the Holy Spirit empower us to obey? It's here. This is it. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of, this, of his son, Jesus Christ, and we love one another. What does it mean to believe in the name of Jesus Christ? Well, it's a bit more than just like, oh yeah, I believe in Jesus. Uh, you know, m maybe you've chatted with people who would say they believe in Jesus. Yeah, I, I believe in Jesus. It's like, okay, well, tell me, tell me what you believe. And as you listen a bit more, you're like, uh, yeah, I don't know if we're talking about the same guy. Um, like, what you believe is not what I believe. Like, where on earth did you get that from? Um, because this is the revelation of Jesus Christ the recorded revelation of Jesus Christ. Some people have an idea of Jesus that's completely unhitched um, from the truth of this and what God has revealed of himself. God hasn't left us to discover and make a Jesus of our own imagining. He's revealed himself um, here and told us what he wants us to know of who Jesus is. And uh, you know, as a pastor, I hang out with lots of people and I hear lots of weird ideas about who Jesus is. And 
to believe in the name of Jesus is not just to believe in his name. A name is, is, is character. It's everything about him. Um, this is what it means. It, it's, a, it's a command. This is, this is strange language. It's a command to believe. You're commanded to believe everything about Jesus. That he is who he says he is. So not who, who he is who we think he is. He is who he says he is. He is the eternal God, the sinless one, the Messiah, the beginning and the end. Everything he teaches, we obey. That he's coming back. He's going to restore the kingdom. All of these things. He's going to judge the living and the dead. La, 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 la. The, the, the full package of who Jesus is. That's the command that we're given to believe that. Not to cherry pick, to choose the bits of Jesus that we like. It's like, oh, I like this about Jesus. But when he gets into that stuff, yeah. I don't think that's what he meant, to reinterpret it kind of thing. It's like, no, no, it's like to submit ourselves to his authority um, and what he has actually said and commanded. That is what it means, to believe in the name of Jesus Christ and to love one another. I'm not going to go too much into this because Dave spoke really well last week on what it means to love one another. Um, if you missed it, it's online. Uh, these days, you didn't miss anything. Well, you did, but you can go and find it somewhere. And, and he spoke at the end about all the one another um, verses in Scripture. All these things that we're commanded as Christians to love one another, love one another, do all these things. How do you know you're a Christian? You fully believe everything about Jesus. You're not, you're not cherry-picking. You, you have submitted your life to his leadership and to his lordship, and you say, I agree with you, Jesus, you are who you say you are. And then you love one another. You love this new family that God has brought you into. I meet lots of people who say they love Jesus, they've got no time for church. Like, I don't think you're a Christian. And I know that sounds very harsh, it's a bit heavy going for a Sunday morning, but have a look at it there. Believe in the name, love one another. You believe in the name means that you will end up loving one another. They, they are joined together because it's a work of the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit empowers the belief in Jesus and the ability to love one another. The Holy Spirit is fueling your walk with Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not going to lead you to say, I love Jesus, I don't love his people. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit gives you a love for people. Look, you might find some Christians annoying. I find some Christians annoying. I'm sure lots of Christians find me annoying. I, I am annoying sometimes. I, I, I'm not foolish enough to not believe that. Dave even gets annoyed with me. Even Dave, who was preaching on loving one another, I'm sure gets annoyed with me. That's not the whole, that's not the thing. It's like, is your heart inclined in love towards this new family? It's not perfect, but it's consistent. It's not perfect. It's not perfection. We're after it's consistency, walking in that direction. You can't say, I like, I love Jesus. I've got no time for church. I've got no time for God's people. It's an impossibility if the Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you. Holy Spirit enables us to keep these commands. And what John says is that this obedience is pleasing in God's sight. Amazing. That hit me with new force again this week as I was looking at it. I was thinking, I want to please God. I want to please God. I, you know, it's cool. I, having been a dad is, 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 is epic most of the time. You know, some, some days are average, but most of the time it's lacquer. And when your kids do, on the odd occasion, what you ask them to do, I mean, this is very rare. I'm scratching back in my memory now to find uh, time. But when they do, without questioning what I ask them to do, like as a dad, I'm just like, and I can hear the hallelujah 
chorus. Handel's Messiah, like ringing in my ears. I was just like, this is amazing. You are, you're not giving me any grief about this. You're actually just doing what I asked you to do. Like, as a dad, just, I'm just like, oh, I love you. I've never loved you more, you know? You cleaned your room <laughs> once. Apparently, there was a time when one of my kids cleaned their room. Uh, I wasn't actually at home to see it happen. But uh, we can bring God joy through our obedience. And I, I think that's the heart of the Christian is that we look at our relationship with God and say, I, I, I want to bring you joy. Father, I want to bring you joy. And I, I can do that through my obedience. I, I can bring greater joy. Yeah, it's not like God... He's up and down in his feelings like a human father would be. He set his affection on us. Nothing can change that. But that's what John makes clear. Like we can do things that are pleasing in his sight. Like we can do things that are not pleasing in his sight. And I want to, and I want us as a church to be people who live in a way that's pleasing in God's sight. He looks at us and we bring him joy through our obedience that is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The last thing here. Indwelt by the Holy Spirit who changes our identity and our ability. Enables us then to obey God's commands, which are to believe in the name of Jesus and to love one another. Then he says, as you live like that, you have confidence before God in your prayers. He says, you have confidence before God in your prayers. Verse 21 again, dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. You receive whatever you want. There's a confidence in your prayer because your life is aligned with living in God's ways. The Holy Spirit is helping us to obey God's commands. He's changing our hearts. So uh, verses like this can have sometimes been misconstrued by Christians. They look at that and they think it says there that we receive whatever we ask. Okay, sweet. Let's start asking. And it's like It can't possibly mean that you're going to get whatever you ask for, surely, is it? I mean, I've been asking for a new mountain bike for ages, and I'm still waiting. Like, it can't possibly mean that, it, and, and, and it doesn't. So you're right to think and to doubt that it doesn't mean what it appears to mean. It, it means what it says in the context here, that if you're living a life obediently obeying the commands of God, you're going to be asking for things that are in line with the will of God. If you ask God to make you look more like Jesus, what do you think God's going to say? Oh, yeah. If you ask for more of the Holy Spirit, what do you think God's going to say? If you ask God to make you fruitful and effective in the kingdom of God, what do you think God's going to say? And you ask for anything that lines up with the, the will of the declared will of God is God is not going to hold back on you. If you're just asking for a raise and for a house and for ease and comfort and all that stuff that God never promises, you may just be knocking on closed doors. You're not going to get a yes there. But you ask in this, in this line. And again, we don't know what God's will is always. We can't get it perfect. And that's where it gets tricky for us. We can get, we can get discouraged. But listen to these words uh, of Jesus in John. John's gospel here. John 15 verse 7. Jesus says, if you remain in me, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, my words remain in you, you're obedient. My commands, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you want if you're living in my ways and it will be done for you. I'm not going to hold back on you in giving you what you want as you walk in my ways. Verse 8, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Man, I, I think it would 
revolutionize our prayer lives. If we asked and pleaded with God, say, God, would you work in my life in such a way that I bear much fruit for you? It's for the Father's glory that you bear fruit and you show yourself to be a disciple of his. It's like God's not going to hold back. Like The Father gets glorified when you bear fruit. And you bear fruit by asking according to the will of God, God, make me look more like you. Use my life. Change me. Pour out your gifts on me. Make me effective in the kingdom of God. Use me, please, Father. We, we do need to look at our prayer lives and, and dissect and digest. What are we asking for? What are we talking about? If we want to be, have confidence before God, we need to ask for the things that God has surely promised. I want to end by looking at some of this encouragement that John has in this passage here. He says that there's one line in verse, I think it's earlier in the verses. He says, God is greater than our hearts. When our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts and he knows all things. He knows all things. I find that so deeply encouraging that God, it's, it's encouraging and convicting. You can't play games with God. You can't play games with God. He sees everything. He sees our mixed motivations, you know, the waywardness of our hearts when we're appearing like this to people, but we're actually like this. He sees that, and you can't fool him, can't convince him. That should convict us kind of thing. So God, please purify the motivations of my heart. But the fact that he sees all things, and he's greater than your heart, that's, John says, your heart's going to condemn you. Your heart's going to condemn you, but God is greater than that. God is greater. God speaks with more authority over your life than your condemning heart does. I'm saying it again. God speaks with greater authority over your life than your condemning heart does. When your heart condemns you, what are you going to tell your heart? You let God speak a better word over your life. You let him speak the truth of the gospel that you are not what you've done. You aren't defined by those things. You're not stuck there. That's not who you are. You're a son. You're a daughter. You belong to him. You're not an outcast. You have been welcomed in and adopted and filled with the Spirit. And you're going to be His forever. And He sings songs of joy over you. That's what this book says is true about us who follow Jesus. He speaks a better word. He speaks with more authority. And we have to allow this gospel to be drilled, banged into our heads and our hearts to ward off when our hearts want to come and condemn us and push us out of the presence of God and let you go and sit and feel sorry for yourself or sulk in the corner and stay away from God and drain all of our joy. Say, no, 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 no. Condemning heart, you're going to listen. Shut up and listen. You, you, sometimes not to, you don't have to listen to your own heart. You need to speak to your heart. You know, be still my soul. Shut up and listen. You know, kind of vibe like, you need to sit your soul down and give it a talking to I know this sounds weird. It's like a weird picture. Like, like sit down. You're like, like you're schizophrenic. But you talk to yourself all the time, don't you? I talk to myself all the time. When, when I'm talking to myself now. That's why I don't make sense sometimes. Because I'm talking, having multiple conversations. You need, you need to change the, the conversation. You need to speak the truth to your soul. Not allow your condemning heart. That's telling me I'm stop. You need to allow that truth to wash over you and to shape. Otherwise, all you have is your own condemning heart and thoughts. And then you get stuck in the spiral there. And the truth of the gospel, what Martin Luther says, you have to bang it in. So let me ask you this. What is your action plan 
to beat the gospel into your heart and your head. I'm so encouraged by Richard Sibbs. He's a, um, a Puritan author, and he said, there's more mercy in Christ than there is sin in me. There is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in me. Again and again, God speaks a better word over your condemning heart than you can. You don't get yourself out of the hole. God gets you out of that misery and that lifelessness because he speaks the truth of the gospel over you. And for some of us this morning, that's what you need. You need God to speak again over you the words of Romans 8 verse 1. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It's a lie. It's not true. And your condemning heart needs an action plan that the grace of God can wash over that and you can enjoy the grace. You can drink deeply of the grace. That is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. That's how you get to live confidently and full of joy before God rather than with a condemned heart. I love what it says on medication. Not all medication. Some medication. There's one that one of our kids takes. This is like, take two tablets three times a day. Repeat as needed. Thinking. Take two tablets three times a day. Repeat as needed. Soul medication. You need an action plan for soul medication. Take it often. Repeat as needed. Repeat as needed, beating the gospel. I am God's, I belong to him. I'm cleansed, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, I'm free. He's changing me. I'm not perfect, but I'm, I'm a work in progress. Thank you, God. What you've started, you're gonna finish. All of that truth is in you. I'm not making it up. It's all just in here. And we need to position our hearts to allow this to bring deep confidence to us and crush that condemning heart that would chase us out of the presence of God. Let's pray uh, together and then we'll sing. Father, thank you for uh, the truth of your word. Thank you for the, the truth of the gospel that you have done everything uh, to win us back to yourself. Jesus, you have died in our place. You are our substitute and you offer us full forgiveness and cleansing and life and joy and relationship with you and with the Father and with the Spirit. And Father, you've promised to fill us with the Spirit as we place our faith in you and we, we pray you would forgive us this morning for the times when we've just wallowed with our hearts condemning us. We just allowed lies um, just to lead us away from you and to cause us just to spin our wheels and be unproductive and ineffective both for you and in our relationship with you. And I pray, Father, this morning that you would do a wonderful work in us, whether we're here or in our homes this morning, washing over us again the truth of the gospel, the presence of the Holy Spirit. We ask you, Father, for more of the Holy Spirit to wash over us again, to remind us of our identity as, as yours and to fill us again with new power to obey your commands, to live for you, to follow you in obedience. 
and that our prayers wouldn't be hindered, that we'd be effective for you, but that we'd know joy and that as we remind ourselves of the gospel, we would just revel in you. you. You have not treated us as our sins deserve. You have lavished kindness on us and we want to respond in worship to you and in wonder and say, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. So please, Father, would you come now I pray that you would pour out your spirit and drive out this uh, condemning heart condition from us and cause us to stand confidently and full of joy before you, that that would bring you glory and be so good for us again this morning. We ask that you would help us with this in Jesus' name. Amen.